It is 2019. You're walking through Notre Dame and you stop and look at a wall. Not just any wall. This wall holds a mural of Christopher Columbus. It was painted in 1880, shortly after completing the building. It has welcomed young men and ladies to the university for over 130 years. But as you look at the wall, all you see is a large black covering. The university has covered the painting because the man, Christopher Columbus, is one the university no longer wants to remember. You're not sure what to think about that. You've heard some pretty horrible things about Columbus. Was he really a murderer, a rapist, even committed a genocide? Did he bring slavery to the Americas? You keep walking and enter a lecture hall. You're going to hear a lecture by a man named Michael Knowles. You heard Antifa might show up, but you don't see any sign of them. The lecture hall is full. You find a seat in the back of the hall and settle into here. After some opening statements, Michael Knowles stands up to speak. So who was right? Was he a hero or a villain? Today we're looking at Christopher Columbus, and like our intro story said, we're in a time period where Columbus is definitely being cancelled. If you would like to hear the Michael Knowles speech, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. In this podcast, I try not to sugarcoat anything. If someone is bad, I say he's bad, or she. The church has definitely done some pretty bad stuff and also has been blamed for things it didn't do. When we look at the figure like Columbus, I have a little tip. If someone is portrayed as a complete villain with nothing good at all, there's a chance you're listening to propaganda. Also, if a person is portrayed as completely good, basically almost a god, you're also listening to propaganda. So who was right? Notre Dame villain version or Michael Knowles saint version? The truth is somewhere in between. In 1451, Christopher entered the world. He was born in what is today Italy. His father was a wool worker, and the small family was not wealthy, but they also weren't peasants. They were a low level of middle class. Christopher would eventually have three brothers and a sister. His brother Bartholomew and his other brother Diego would become huge parts of his adventures as an adult. However, when Bartholomew was born, little Christopher was only 10 years old, and that's when he decided to head out to sea as a cabin boy. That's right. Christopher Columbus started his adventures at age 10. He loved the sea and he knew this would be his life. In 1470, his family moved to another area of Italy and his father began running a tavern. Christopher took every job available on the ship he could get and he soon moved up the ranks and was traveling all over Europe. He went to Britain, Ireland, even Iceland. By the time he was a young man, he had seen so much of the world. Christopher also taught himself. He studied math, especially geometry. He learned to speak and read Latin. He was a very well-educated young man, but he had no formal education. One of the ships he was working on landed in Lisbon, Portugal, and to Columbus's surprise, he found his younger brother Bartholomew living there. Columbus decided to make Lisbon his home base, and his relationship with his brother grew very close. Then he met a young woman, Felipe. Felipe was from a very wealthy family. Her father had been a governor. However, her father had died and there was no money for a dowry. Christopher asked her mother if he could marry her and said he would take care of her and provide for her and he didn't need a dowry. His mother was very thankful 
and Christopher became like a son to her. She gave Christopher all of her late husband's maps and sea measurement tools. Christopher's life was good. He worked on the ships. He had a beautiful wife, everything he could dream of. And then he got one more blessing, a little boy. 1480, Diego Columbus was born. Christopher loved his son with all his heart. Five years later, everything came crashing down. Christopher was out to sea traveling in West Africa when his wife died. Some historians say she was murdered. Others say she was sick. And others say there's just no record of how she died. But Christopher had to return home with no wife and take his young son with him. At this point, Christopher took his son and moved to Castile, what is today Spain. Now let's do a short recap of what's happened in Castile. Remember, the Ottomans have defeated Constantinople, throwing Europe into a panic. It's also ended the spice trade for most of Europe. Meanwhile, Portugal is trying to conquer Africa. Castile and Aragon were two countries that united with the marriage of Ferdinando and, and Isabella. They had also then attacked the Muslim area, defeating them and making them the ruler of the whole peninsula. Then they started the Spanish Inquisition. I covered that in my last episode. Please go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. It makes all of this come into a better context. Meanwhile, Christopher in Castile meets a 20-year-old orphan named Beatrice. She gave birth to Christopher's second son, Ferdinando. Beatrice also becomes a motherly figure to Diego and took care of both of the boys. If all you know about Christopher Columbus was what you learned as a second grader in school, you may have heard something like this. People thought the world was flat. They thought they could sail off the edge of it. Christopher Columbus thought the world was round. He sailed to what he thought was India, so that's why we call Indians Indians, because he thought he was in India. Basically, none of that is true. Most people believe the world was round by Christopher Columbus's time. Now, there were people that believed the world was flat, but, well, there's people today who believe the world is flat, so... The people who believe the world was flat didn't think you could just fall off the end of it. Not by Christopher Columbus's time. And he never thought he was in India. He was actually trying to get to Japan. Now, there is also a question about whether Christopher was a Jew. Jews who converted to Christianity were called conversos, and they were targeted by the church and the state, and that's basically what the Spanish Inquisition was about, mostly because the Jewish community was the wealthy community. Like I said, I covered all that in our last episode, so please go back and listen to that. There is some evidence pointing to Columbus being a converso himself, but that he kept it secret and hidden while he was in Spain, which would make sense since they were burning conversos alive. He did, however, get money from the Jewish community when he was in Spain, and he had Jewish people as his crew. So either he was a Jew himself, or at the very least, he didn't agree with the racism that was going through Spain at the time. Bartholomew and Christopher loved maps. Bartholomew had a map of the world made by a man named Toscanelli. It was a map Toscanelli had made in 1474. The map portrayed the world as much smaller than it is, and it didn't have the land masses that we know today as North America, Central America, South America, the Caribbean Islands, and it had Asia as a giant landmass, much, much larger than reality. Toscanelli met with Christopher Columbus, and when Columbus showed him the plan the brothers had, Toscanelli thought it was a great plan. The trip would prove that his map was true, plus all the men were pretty sure that there was going to be small land masses in between, and that they would be able to claim those areas. The men believed this map theory was true, and they wanted to prove it. They wanted to take a ship and travel and prove the map was accurate. The brothers, they went from country to country trying to get funding, but they got nowhere, everywhere they went. Finally, the brothers tried Spain. They met with a king and queen, 
and they got another no. Columbus left disheartened. There was just nowhere left to go. As he rode away on a mule, he suddenly heard the sound of horses coming his way. Men from the court had come to tell Columbus to come back. The throne wanted to see him again. You see, Spain was in a difficult place. They'd been at war with Portugal, and they had a treaty that didn't allow them to travel through the water east if it was for trade. If Columbus could find a way to get to China or Japan going west, that would solve that problem. Here's the deal. Everyone knew there's going to be small pieces of land between Spain and Japan. And they wanted Columbus to claim any of that land for Spain. If Spain had land they controlled close to Japan, they could dominate the trade industry. Spain ends up kicking out all the Jews from Spain, August 3rd, 1492. And that same day, Christopher Columbus set out, leaving behind his two sons, his brothers, everything he owned and venturing into the unknown. Almost right away, he's hit with his first problem, a rudder breaks, probably a sabotage. Once that was fixed, he's back on track. By September 9th, you can see no land at all. Every direction the sailors looked was water. They were in the middle of the unknown. They were also sailing. We had to remember that. They were under the control of the wind. And to travel west, they would have to use something called the trade winds. These were winds most sailors didn't use or understand how to use. Christopher Columbus did have some tools of navigation. However, at this point, they didn't know the difference between true north or magnetic north. Not to mention no one had proved the map they had, and not all the land was mapped out. Day after day passed with no land, just water, more water, and then more water. The sailors started to panic. They didn't know where they were or how they would get home if they decided to turn around. They began to panic more and more and talked about mutiny. The first mate wanted to punish the people talking about mutiny, even hang them. Christopher Columbus would not allow this to happen. Then after a few weeks, they saw about 1,000 birds and they knew that meant land. So they started to follow the birds to find the land. The men suddenly felt hope and the idea of mutiny went away. October 11th, Christopher Columbus saw a light moving back and forth. He was sure it was a man walking on land. He called for sailors to come and look. One of the other sailors saw it before it disappeared. The next day, a cry went out. Tano! Tano! It was land! Land! Everyone was so excited! They could see land now just ahead of them. Christopher Columbus spent the night thinking about landing and meeting a grand leader of Japan. He could picture the greatness of Japan and couldn't wait to see it with his own eyes. The next morning they did land, but instead of the greatness of Japan or grand leaders, he was greeted by naked people. These were the Tano people, and he had landed in Bahamas. The Tanos were also surprised by what they saw. They called them men who came from the sky. They could not understand where these men had come from. Christopher Columbus was able to meet the naked people, and although they didn't speak any of the languages Christopher spoke, he was able to communicate with them. He soon noticed something strange. There was no old men or women. In fact, The oldest person looked to be around 30. He realized the life expectancy of these people was very bad. He spent time with the Tanos and came to see that they had no religion at all, that they were both very kind people and very smart people. They picked up on the Spanish language very quickly and wanted to please and help the crew as much as possible. Christopher almost immediately saw their need for salvation and wanted to share the gospel with them. 
He wrote in his journal the need to convert the tribe. Now, this is one of the things people criticize Christopher Columbus for. However, as a fellow Christian, this is one of the things that makes me like him. Here is the spot people criticize Columbus, and they use his journals from this exact time as a way to point to him as an evil villain. Now, they use an English translation of his journals, and that English translation wasn't written until 1892, during a time when England and Spain were fighting, and they kind of had a reason to make Columbus look like a villain. Even so, here's a part of the journal that they talk about. It appears to me that the people are ingenuous and would be good servants, and I am of opinion that they would readily become Christian, as they appear to have no religion and are very quickly to learn such words as are spoken to them. Now, servant is a key word here. Today, people say servant means slave. He was saying he was going to make them all slaves. However, the Italian translation says they would be good servants of God, which actually makes more sense in the paragraph than slave. Let's read it with the two versions. If I was to say I would make good slaves and I'm of the opinion they would become Christians as they appear to have no religion, or and they would become good servants of God and I'm of the opinion they would readily become Christians as they appear to have no religion. He also wrote and said, for with 50 men, they can be subjugated and made to do what is required of them. Once again, this is used to say he wanted to make them slaves. But this came from a letter being sent to the king and queen, asking them what they wanted him to do. Subjugate means they would be subjects to the crown, not slaves. Christopher Columbus himself was a subject of the crown. What Columbus was saying is these are peaceful people. They would make great subjects to the crown. They don't have to send a large army to attack them. 50 tops. Either way, Spain was going to try to take that land. That was the entire point of paying him to go. However, what Columbus was saying is don't send an army. These are good people and they'll make good citizens. He also planted a large cross on the island, but this was more of a way of claiming land than being a witness. The crew headed back on the ship and continued sailing. Columbus was sure Japan would be just around the next corner. But what they found were more islands. So many of them. This was actually really dangerous because the chance of running aground was very high. They didn't have maps to tell them where the land was going to be. Every island they came to, they put up a cross and claimed the land. They spent time with the island people and they found more and more Tano people. They began to hear stories of a horrible tribe called the Cribs. These were cannibals who hunted and killed and ate the Tanu people and was the reason their life expectancy was so low. With each island and new group of people, Christopher would leave behind trinkets for the people and they were fascinated by the men. One thing the tribe would love to do is touch their beards. They'd never seen anything like this before. One day, Christopher Columbus was showing a chief around his ship and showed him the cannons. He even let one of the chiefs shoot his cannon. All the tribes thought it was the most wonderful thing. Another time, Christopher Columbus showed a man his sword. The man grabbed it by the sharp end and sliced his hand. They'd never seen such a weapon before. The crew continued, and the next land that they found was Cuba. Cuba was a beautiful country, and there were rumors of a land just around the corner with more gold. One day, one of Columbus's ships just took off, the Pinta. This is, of course, really bad for Columbus. Then they landed in Haiti and then the Dominican Republic. But the landing was not good. The steerman was tired. He really wanted to take a nap. He was not supposed to leave, but 
All there was was water and more water and not a lot of wind. What could go wrong? So he called his cowboy to come over and take over for him. He would just sleep for a few minutes. Except his nap went longer than he expected. And land did come. And they ran aground. And the boat was ruined. Christopher Columbus stood on the deck of his ship. One ship gone. Another ship ruined. He had not found Japan. He was a loser. A failure. He had no way to get his men home safe. And he began to cry. His men were in shock to see their great fearless leader openly crying. Then he pulled himself together. He ordered all of the men to make for land. And then he told them to take the boat apart and they're going to use it to make a fort. This took a few weeks and Columbus took his time to get to know the tribe people and made a really good bond, especially with the chief. He then picked 39 men to leave at the fort. He was going to take the rest of the men back to Spain and then return with a new boat. Imagine you're a man living on this island. A large boat suddenly appears, then a second. You've never seen anything larger than a canoe before. And they're wearing cloth from head to toe instead of just the loincloths you wear. And they speak a language you've never heard before. Their boat is broken and they're landing right here. Over the next few weeks, you begin to find ways to understand each other. They really love gold. And you give them some, as much of it as you have. It's not really valuable to you. After a while, you hear that some will return to the land they came from, but they're going to come back. Then they want to know if you want to come and see the place they came from. Would you go? Well, some men did go back with Columbus back to Spain. And I like to think of their journey. What an interesting perspective. While Columbus was shocked to see land and naked people who didn't know how to pick up a sword, imagine being these men and landing to see grand palaces and cathedrals. It must have been mind-blowing. Christopher Columbus is worried about his trip back. He didn't find Japan. He did have a little gold, but not much. He lost a ship and he destroyed a ship. How would he explain this? And would the king and queen give him another ship? Plus, the Pinta had just left. What if they were actually back in Spain and telling lies about him? As they head back to Spain, they come across a ship. And as they get closer, they recognize the flag. Yes, it's the Penta. Columbus was legally allowed to hang the captain for what he did. However, he didn't punish him at all. And the two ships headed back towards Spain together. Then, suddenly, a storm hits. And this storm is a monster storm. Columbus realizes he's going to die. His thoughts are of his men trapped on the island. How will anyone find them? They will be doomed forever. He writes a description of where they are, where the men are, and all the land he's found and claimed for Spain. He has his men help him seal the paper in a barrel and throw it overboard. And then they work through the night to survive the storm and miraculously they live through it, both ships. However, the Pinta is gone and Columbus doesn't know if they died or if they're just separated. Finally, March 14th, 1493, they land in Spain. Excited to see his sons, his oldest is now 13 and his youngest is still a little boy. The boys are excited to see their father as well. They thought he was dead. A few days earlier, the Pinta had arrived back in port and said they'd been hit by a huge storm and had lost Columbus's ship and it was presumed he was dead. That meant the crew of the Pinta had already told all the grand stories of Columbus's adventure and the captain of course had left out the part about him leaving the ship and also kind of made himself the hero of the trip. He was being celebrated. 
for Columbus, who wanted more than anything to just be someone, to be recognized, to have the Columbus name mean something. It was hard to see this other man who'd been such a disaster being treated as a hero. However, Columbus didn't attack the captain or rat him out as a disaster. The king and queen were excited to see Columbus, and he traveled to the court to tell of his adventure. He told Isabella and Ferdinand of the land he'd found. He was sure Japan was just a little farther west. He also told them that he planted a cross and claimed all of this land for Spain. And of course he knew there was plenty of gold on this land. He just needed time to find it. And what about the people on this land? If Spain was to go to war and conquer the land, would it be a hard-fought war? Columbus told of the two tribes. The Cribs were a terrible tribe. They ate people and they terrorized the other tribes. They were a warring tribe, but they could easily be defeated by Spain. Spain could take them no problem. The other tribe were the Tanu people. They were kind and friendly, and they could live peacefully among them. He was sure Spain could come in and take the land without a fight at all. The king and queen were thrilled. Of course, of course he needed to return as quickly as possible to the men left behind. He was sure they were safe. They were with the Tanu people, but they would need supplies soon. The king and queen were happy to send him back, and this time everyone wanted to go with him. September 24th, 1492, a little over a year after he left on his first trip, Columbus was heading out again, this time with 17 ships, 12,000 of the finest sailors. Everyone wanted to go on this trip, and one of the sailors was his brother, Diego Columbus. The two had dreamed of this moment for years. The Columbus name finally meant something. And they had been right. Now they just had to find Japan. Columbus also sailed this time with a new deal from the throne. He would get to keep one-eighth of the treasure found for himself and his family. And he would be the governor of whatever land was claimed for Spain. He also made a deal with the throne that all the Tanu people would be paid for work they did. There would be no stealing from the people. They would live in peace and trade fairly. Well, that was the plan. Amongst the crew were priests. Columbus had learned from his last trip that in a time of distress or loss of hope, there was a need for priests to keep the crew calm. He also wanted to bring the gospel to the people. His plan was to leave the priests in the areas claimed for Spain. His plan to evangelize the people is the reason some people criticize Columbus from the Christian perspective, it's a positive. He wanted to reach these people with the good news of Jesus. Now the task was to try and find the land they had left the men on. Columbus had his charts, but it would still be hard. After 20 days, they did find land, but it wasn't the same land. This time they landed on what is today Guadalupe. As they went to shore, they found a village that had been completely abandoned. No one was there. They could tell something terrible had happened here. As they walked inland farther, they found a group of women and children living in terror. The cribs had come. They'd killed every man and then castrated the little boys, leaving the women to live alone on an island with no hope of rebuilding their tribe. The women would be forced to live out their lives, dying one by one until there was no one left. What an absolute horror show. There was nothing the crew could do to help them. There was just too many of them to take on their ships. But they would let people know they were there, and they left them with the hope that they would not be alone forever. However, as the ships traveled, they landed on island after island with the same horror story. 
The women begged the men to come and help them or to take them with them. They would work as slaves if they had to, just please don't leave them. The crew realized something had to be done. They were going to have to go to war against the Cribs. They simply could not allow them to continue this rampage. Next week, when we come back, we're going to talk about the war they had with the Cribs and some of the mistakes they made in that war. We're also going to see what happened when they returned to their fort and were the men alive and what was happening there. We're also going to look at some of the big mistakes Columbus made as he continued on in his adventure. Please come back next week so you can hear the rest of the Christopher Columbus story. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show. Also, share with a friend who might be interested. For more blogs and other podcasts and videos, go to lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next week as we continue on with our adventure of Christopher Columbus.